Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, so we're kind of a little behind with, uh, with, because the Supreme Court basically, Mike dropped about 4,000 cases in the last like three weeks or so. Um, and then now they've gone on vacation and good for them. Um, but I'd like to catch us up if we could on some of the bigger things that have been going on in the last little bit. Sure. And I know that they've taken a couple of cases that are sort of in and around the ideas of religion and religious exceptionalism or exceptions right granted to religious institutions and that sort of thing there are a couple of cases for that right going on yeah so in uh uh a previous podcast episode um uh we went ahead and talked about the uh, montana um tax case um tax subsidy case uh the espinoza Espinoza. Espinoza case right Mm -hmm. And there were two other cases on the court's docket in the most recently completed term that also deal with the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. So again, for listeners, the First Amendment has two clauses that deal with religion. One that prohibits the establishment of a government religion, okay? So, you know, in some, you know, for instance, nation states, there is a national religion. The Vatican okay. comes to mind. Vatican comes to mind. <laughs> you know, for the longest time in Great Britain, it was the Anglican Church. Okay. Well, and some um, Muslim countries. Yes. Okay. It, whichever form Sunni or Shia of Islam that you prescribe to are, is, the, is the state religion. It is the state religion. The second of the two religion clauses is the free exercise clause, right? And again, the idea here was um, the government should not be able to prescribe how you exercise your religious beliefs, if you have any, right? And up until were, certain, damn it, like you can't, human sacrifice cannot be part of your religion. In fact, that is the example, Nia, that I use <laughs> in my constitutional law, civil rights, civil liberties case. Oh, okay. So okay. I got lucky on that one. No, no. I mean, in, in my students. If you belong to the ancient Aztec or Incan yes. religions where that's a huge part of what you, then no, you can't practice that religion. Yeah. And, and, and it's, the, it's one of the examples I give to my students in regards to how none of our liberties in the Constitution are absolute. And I'll go ahead and say, so for instance, you have the liberty to, you know, exercise your religious beliefs. But if your religious beliefs tell you to commit human sacrifice, okay, well, that's going to run afoul of, you know, various (laughs) laws that say murder is a criminal act. Well, and I know that in in less ridiculous questions, because... I mean, that's clear. That one's clear. Um, is some of the religions where uh, they don't they don't um, believe in 
in modern medical procedures. And so I know that the states have struggled with that and the federal government has struggled with that. When do you intervene as a matter of protecting children or protecting elderly from people who are not, who are not giving them medical care that the rest of the world perceives to be proper because of their religious beliefs. And that, that's where it gets into nuance because right, everything is nuanced. Nothing is as simple as, so don't commit human sacrifice and we're done, right? Like there's other practices where it really is a murkier question yes. of faith and, and of nuance than, yeah, so than it would seem. A really good example of that is one of the uh, Supreme Court decisions that was handed down at the end of uh, the most recently completed term. And the case that I'm referencing is entitled Little Sisters of the Poor versus Pennsylvania. Okay. Um, and the decision, We have a Little Sisters of the Poor here in Richmond, in case people were wondering. It is, it is a... It is a nonprofit organization that has, if you will, chapters across the country, okay? Um, in this case, the justices uh, upheld uh, a federal rule which exempted employers with religious or moral, moral objections from providing contraceptive coverage to their employees under the Affordable Care Act, okay? Yeah, can I, uh, I, I know we, we don't generally leap right into how we feel about something, yes. <laughs> um, but that one freaked me out a little bit because I, I understand that employers can say, okay, if you come to work here, we will not provide you with this because we don't believe that it's right. We believe that it's morally unacceptable to, and I think the, ag the argument here is contravene the will of God over whether you get pregnant or not, right? Like that's the theory behind, I mean, it's not just a baseless objection. The objection is actually based in the religious idea that God sends children to you, right? That God, that pregnancy is yes. a matter I mean, of yeah, there are, divine act. Yeah, yeah, there are a number of religious faiths who believe, right. okay, um, that uh, any form of contraception, okay, is to, uh, thwarting the will of God. Right. Okay. So I and get where they're coming from on that. But the other part of me is like, <gasps> but there are people for whom a pregnancy is dangerous medically, like, and, it, and they don't want to have an abortion. They want to avoid the question altogether by not getting pregnant. Right. And, and, and so and I, when I, when I read that, I thought, oh, that's so scary. Well, and in what you're touching upon is, is, is one of those classic competing imperatives that the courts are forced to go ahead and somehow craft a solution to, okay? Right. Now, all of this originated uh, with the Affordable Care Act, uh, which was passed by Congress in 20, uh, 2010 and which was implemented in 2012. And again, for listeners... Um, um, it's also known as Obamacare. Okay. Right. Um, uh, Nia and I've joked about how, um, sometimes we should not overestimate, okay. Um, uh, the knowledge of the, you know, uh, typical American voter, <laughs> because in 2016, a whole bunch of people who voted in that election did not know that the Affordable Care Act was the same thing as 
Obamacare. Yeah, they were against Obamacare and for the Affordable, Affordable Care, Care Act, Act okay? which I hate to tell you is the exact same thing. same thing, right? But nevertheless, that kind of confusion sometimes does exist, yes. right? Now, the Affordable Care Act um, had explicit language uh, uh, which would uh, require employers to cover a wide array of female reproductive services, but did not specify those reproductive services. Of course not. That was left to, okay, <laughs> the executive branch to flesh out, okay? So the Obama administration, particularly uh, the uh, Department of Health and Human Services, um, uh, implemented rules uh, that said uh, one of the uh, uh, requirements uh, to cover a wide array of female reproductive services was contraception. In other words, employers, if they offered health insurance to their employees, okay, would have to cover contraception for typically female employees, okay? Because it's not like most employers are providing condoms, okay, for their male employees. Although one could argue. <laughs> yes, they could. That, okay. that, that if you require one, you should require both. Or the other. But that's a different. That's, that's a, a different diff question, which wasn't <laughs> solved in this case. Yes, that's right. We'll get to that one some other time. Um, yeah, right. There's a whole bunch of lawyers, okay, who might be listening or like, hey, wait a minute. Ooh, hey, that's a class action waiting to happen. Yeah, right. So this regulation exempted houses of worship, churches, temples, mosques, right? But nonprofit groups that are affiliated with religious organizations, like schools, like hospitals, like the little sisters of the poor, okay, were not. And some of these groups argued um, that providing coverage for any approved form of contraception violated their religious beliefs. Now, in a previous case, in 2016, the Supreme Court had an opportunity to rule on the Trump, or not the Trump, the Obama administration making a distinction between exempting churches and mosques and synagogues versus other organizations like schools and hospitals associated with religious groups. But the court, okay, was split four to four. And the name of the case is Zubik versus Burwell. And they were four to four because Scalia had passed away at that point. That's right. And, and his, his seat has not, had not yet been filled. That's right. Okay. So the court split four to four. And usually when the court splits, they'll go ahead and say the lower court ruling, okay, is affirmed. But in this particular case, okay, there was uh, an unauthored opinion, meaning that it was the opinion of the court court per curiam, right? They went ahead and instructed the parties to come to some sort of agreement. Well, they didn't. Trump wins the election in 2016 and he comes in and says, well, I'm going to expand 
the number of religious organizations who are exempted, okay, to include, okay, hospitals, schools, and nonprofit organizations like Little Sisters of the Poor. Which is pretty clever at chipping away at, sure. at the Affordable Care Act. Sure. And Which it, one of the things that, that I know that was a plank of um, President Trump's was to wholesale be rid of the Affordable Care Act. And that has proven to be very difficult to do. And so if you can chip away at various parts of it, you might be able to eventually. Um, well, make it null and void. Negate. Right. But it also flows from something We've discussed on this podcast, Nia, which is Congress, to get agreement to pass laws, will frequently write vague, ambiguous laws, and then basically leave the implementation of those laws to whom? The executive branch. That's right. And through when, agencies. Through, I mean, right. it's not just like they're saying to Donald Trump, yes. go, go ahead, because they would never do that if they had, but they leave it to the agencies that implement those and the portions of things. And the agency's leadership changes with presidential administrations. Right. That's, you know, that's one of the fundamental tenets of the modern administrative state, Okay. It didn't used to be like that, though, right? It used to be that people could stay in a position over more than one president. That is true. But again, change in policy emphasis has been a fundamental tenet of the modern administrative state. Right. Okay. So, you know, to, you know, uh, a, a classic example, which led to a Supreme Court ruling, of course it did, okay, <laughs> is the case of Chevron versus Natural Resources Defense Council in 1984. The Carter administration interpreted one section of uh, uh, the uh, uh, Environmental Protection Agency authorizing statute one way. Reagan gets elected in 1980, defeating Jimmy Carter. He interprets it a different way, okay? Environmental groups didn't like it. They went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, while the law was written in a vague, ambiguous way, and thus federal courts should defer to the judgment of reasoned decision-making within the executive branch. Ah, wait, this is our capricious and arbitrary. Arbitrary and capricious. Arbitrary phrasing, where okay. you can't just do it because you just feel like it. There needs to be a reason, yeah, a a reason. reason for the argument. That's right. So where well, does that, sorry. Well, no, and this actually touches upon how the Supreme Court decided the Little Sisters case. Okay. Okay, so Trump comes in, actually follows the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act. Which, I, we're not trying to be ugly here to President Trump, so if he listens to this podcast, we're not trying to be mean, but your guys on a regular basis do not follow the yeah. APA. And if they did, you would get more stuff done. That's right. Because it's they clear did. how it's supposed to work. That's right. And they actually followed the APA and a majority of the court in the Little Sisters case said, because, okay, the law was vague 
and left it to the executive branch to decide who, uh, you know, how the contraception, okay, uh, uh, regulation should be decided, okay, and more, you know, generally, what is met by female reproductive services, okay, um, then uh, 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 what the Trump administration did was legal. It followed the APA, okay? Um, well, yeah. So the seven to two, so the two who dissented, were they, they weren't dissenting based on that, right? They were dissenting based on something else. No, uh, the dissenters basically went ahead and argued that uh, allowing the Trump administration to do this, okay, would hurt the purpose of the Affordable Care Act as it relates to female reproductive services. Okay. And that was the point that Ginsburg made. And Ginsburg's uh, dissenting opinion actually made reference to um, something that even the government's brief, the Trump administration's brief, uh, uh, written brief in this case, uh, discussed, which is that anywhere from 70 to 125,000 women may lose birth control cost coverage with the ruling and the ex uh, exempt, uh, uh, the exception created by the Trump administration. That is a large number of people, Nia, okay, female employees who are now going to have to find, if you will, um, uh, uh, coverage for contraception, okay, from different sources, okay? And by the way, the, the other litigant in this case was the state of Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania's argument was if these female employees are no longer covered by their employers because of a religious exemption, because they reside in Pennsylvania, okay, Pennsylvania is going to go have, will have to go ahead and cover the cost of their contraception. Ah, so it, what gave them standing was that it was going to cost them money. That's right. Okay. Now, that's APA. What was surprising to me, okay, was that the court majority relied upon APA instead of on another federal law, okay, known as the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. The Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed in the early 90s after the Supreme Court, in the case of Employment Division versus Smith, said that an otherwise generally applicable law does not violate the civil liberties of religious groups as protected by the First Amendment. Okay, so real brief. In Employment Division versus Smith, Smith was a drug rehab counselor working in the state of Oregon. And he gets fired from his job because he he failed a drug test. <laughs> oh. oh, that makes me sad. Okay. I, I was worried you were going to say something like that when you're like, you got fired. Oh, no, not for, yes, okay. Okay, and you know, generally, you know, drug rehab facilities basically want their counselors to be drug-free, right. right? Smith filed an unemployment claim in the state of Oregon. 
but it was denied, okay? Um, because Oregon, like many states, uh, do not give you unemployment if you're fired for cause. Gotcha. Okay, I mean, if you're just generally laid off, not because you did something wrong, okay, you can file for unemployment and you usually get it, right? But according to the state of Oregon, he got fired for cause and therefore he didn't deserve unemployment. Smith argued um, his denial of unemployment benefits was based on um, his exercise of his religious beliefs because he belonged to a Native American religion, okay, that prescribed uh, the consumption of peyote, okay, which is the reason why he failed his drug test. And it was peyote in his system? That's right. Okay, so that's a legit, I mean. It goes to the Supreme Court, and the court, in a majority opinion written by Justice Scalia, said, hey, wait a minute here. The state of Oregon's denial of unemployment benefits based on cause affects all religions, okay? You could be fired, okay, for, you know, engaging in any kind of religious uh, practice if it violated the terms of your employment contract. I get up and leave my job at my phone call center to pray five times. That's right. I'm not making phone calls or answering phone calls, which is what my job requires. They fire me for what they say is cause. And I say, I am required to pray at least three times while I'm at work, like because of the way yes. that prayers fall. So, okay. Okay. So I can see where this could be. So they're saying firing for just cause is the problem. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's an otherwise, it's applicable no matter what your religious beliefs are, okay? okay? It's not like he was being singled out because he belonged to a Native American religion, okay, that had a particular practice, okay? This so upsets Congress, okay, that Congress, okay, and by the way, and this was co-sponsored by both Republicans and Democrats. It was signed into law by President Clinton, passed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And basically what it said was any government policy that creates an undue burden on a religion, okay, must be reviewed by the courts, okay, with strict scrutiny, Okay. Oh, and as we've talked about before, that's that's a tough. That's a tough that's, that's standard a tough, to satisfy. Yeah. Okay. So it's got to meet the most rigorous standard that we have. Now, think if about it's going to affect people's practice of their religion. Religion. That's right. Okay. So okay. that's kind of interesting because now the state is protecting religion. Yes. In a in in a while we live under the first amendment which says we shall not have a state religion so basically what the state is having is all religions that's right okay now which i guess if you're not discriminatory and it applies to all of them all religions that's right so and you're not picking a state religion okay so for many commentators the fact that the five conservatives could agree in, in the majority opinion, by the way, was uh, uh, written, I believe, by, what was it? Uh, it was John Roberts, okay? Roberts went ahead and focused on APA, 
which completely avoided the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, okay, which, you know, for many supporters of the contraception coverage of the Affordable Care Act, okay, they kind of sort of breathed a sigh of relief because the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, okay, uh, would have been much harder to change in the future. Okay, so let's just say, for instance, this fall, Joe Biden wins, okay, the uh, presidential election. And he wants to go ahead and tighten the exception, okay, or the exemption for religious groups in regards to providing contraception coverage for their employees. It's far easier to do with APA because with APA, again, all you have to do is go through the process and show that you had reasoned decision-making, okay, and your new regulation goes into effect. But the Religious Freedom Restoration Act requires you to show as the government you are not burdening a religion. That is far more difficult than APA's, okay, notice and comment informal rulemaking, okay? But nevertheless, it's a huge decision, okay? Well, yeah, it's going to affect a lot of families. It's also, yes. it also opens the door to more organizations falling under that umbrella. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. If the president chooses to put them under there. Yes. If a president, not this mm -hmm. president, but any president. Any president. That's chooses right. to put them under there. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay, okay. So now I'm even more scared. Thanks. Appreciate that. I wasn't scared enough. Hey, glad to be of service, Nia. <laughs> you know, there are days when I think, you're a jerk. Um, not usually, but anyway. But, but it, it does, I don't know. Um, what worries me, I think, is the phrasing moral objection. You know what I mean? Like, that's so ambiguous. It's so... I have lots of moral objections to lots of things. I have moral objections to chocolate covered crickets. And yet I know professors in entomology who eat them, right? Like, I, I don't know. I'm just saying that there's some real, that's a, that's a scary phrase to me is all. That's all I'm saying. It's just a scary phrase to me. Um, and it scares me that, that we are still having discussions about about the possibility of denying people reproductive health care, male and female. I mean, we kid about condoms, but that also applies under this rule. I mean, it applies to, you know, okay. if that were to become an issue, I, I don't know. Okay, but to put this in context, <laughs> and I'm gonna upset you even more, Nia. Oh, good, okay. Okay. I'm glad I'm sitting down. Prior to 1965, when the Supreme Court went ahead and said in the uh, uh, Griswold versus Connecticut case that um, uh, uh, married couples had a constitutional right to receive, use, okay, buy contraception, most of the time, the federal courts avoided cases where states prohibited 
the discussion, sale, distribution, and usage of contraception. So this idea that human beings, married couples or otherwise, okay, could even receive information from their doctors about contraception violated, according to one study, 40 different state laws. See, that's just bonkers. Okay. Your doctor should be able to talk to you about everything that has to do with your health. Okay. With no holds barred. I mean, and, that's and, the and point what, of having a doctor. Otherwise, why not just rattle some bones, read some tea leaves, and call it done? Like, that's... But there are a whole bunch of Americans who actually say, yeah, that's how we should do medicine in this country. <laughs> yeah, they should be drummed out and sent to a place where medicine is not a science. And we, well, I know, I know people say it's as much as art, an art as it is a science in the sense that it, we're constantly learning, but there is stuff we know. Okay. There is stuff we scientifically know. We know that, you know, that, well, and we also know that, that, that sorry, there have been a lot of studies that have shown that people who are able to control their, um, the number of offspring that they have, it, it changes their life standards and the life standards of their children. Well, I mean, and, 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 better off each generation is successfully better off the more they're able to control their their reproductive health. Hey, I mean, and, and, and that's something that Ginsburg pointed out in her dissent. She said that this exemption for uh, religious organizations, okay, you know, beyond churches, synagogues, okay, right. mosques, etc., um, um, was going to harm the economic and uh, lifestyle, if you will, choices of a whole bunch of women. Yeah. Okay? A whole and bunch thus of women. their families. That's right. Like yeah, that's right. not just single women. These, a lot of these women are married. That's right. And they're, yeah. they're trying yeah. not to have, you know, yeah. 10 kids or whatever for a variety of reasons. So that's right. So fie, fie upon this, I say. Okay. Um, okay. So then, but we also have another one and it's, confusing to me because i'm not sure i understand exactly what that one's about yes okay um, so the other case you're talking about is uh, actually uh, uh two consolidated uh, two consolidated cases okay but it goes uh, typically by uh, uh the name of the first case uh our late lady of guadalupe school versus morrissey beirut okay and this these two cases basically ask the court uh, the extent to which uh, uh, religious organizations, again, religion, uh, religious organizations as employers, okay, um, can fire uh, employees and not be uh, bound by existing uh, federal laws that prohibit certain kinds of discrimination in the workplace, okay? And <clears throat> what's at issue here is something that, uh, a concept that the uh, court created um, related to uh, the free exercise clause of the First Amendment. It's known as the ministerial exception, okay? Um, the ministerial exception basically is this, okay? 
uh, religious organizations should be able to go ahead and decide who, rep, you know, who represents them at church services, in their schools, etc. okay, per their religious beliefs. If the government is telling them who they can and cannot hire or fire, it would seem, at least according to the Supreme Court, to uh, infringe upon the free exercise of religion. But this runs counter to a number of, if you will, civil rights laws. So for instance, the 1964 Civil Rights Act prohibits employers from using various, if you will, characteristics um, as reasons to fire people. So you can't fire people because of, simply because of their race um, or their uh, ethnicity or national origin or their sex. Oh, we're back to that again. From... Yeah, we're back to the Bostock ruling. Okay. 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 But there's another very important, okay, civil rights law. Uh, which has bearing, and that is the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was passed in the early 1990s. It was signed into law by uh, 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 Bush 41, the first President Bush, okay, which basically says you can't fire people um, simply because of their disability, amongst other provisions of the law, okay? Now, in these two cases, okay, um, uh, in the one case, you had uh, a female school teacher, okay, in a religious school who was fired. And then in the other case, uh, you had a female teacher um, uh, who had cancer and could no longer, you know, come to work uh, and perform her duties. Both of them were fired, okay? And both of them went ahead and claimed, if you will, cover uh, uh, protection uh, by the uh, civil rights laws that I just mentioned. Both religious schools went ahead and said that because uh, they were engaged in, in part, okay, religious instruction, they were uh, covered by the ministerial exception to these civil rights laws. And the court, in a seven to two decision, agreed, okay, with the schools, okay, agreed with the schools. Okay. Um, and I have such huge problems with that. Just I, I know you do. I know you do. I, okay. I, you know, I don't think you should be able to fire people because they have cancer. I don't think you should be able to fire people because they are women. I don't think you should, like, and I don't care who you are as an employer. I think the rules should apply. I understand. I understand from the school's point of view. If let's just say that you worked at a religious school and you decided to transition or not decided to transition because i don't know if it's a decision so much as it is an awareness but you you transitioned to um a female facing persona right that would be complicated for a lot of religions who believe that that is wrong to have you in the classroom i can understand where they might have to find different employment for you, right? That like they may not, they may not be able to conscious. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I it's, I'm struggling to find a way around because I've 
it just feels so discriminatory to me. But I could understand where they might say, we can't have you in the classroom, but we're going to move you to this administrative position where you will do accounting or you will do whatever. And we don't have to explain to students why we have a teacher in the classroom teaching when we don't believe that this thing is, that, that, that what's, that they are religiously in line with our beliefs, right? There's a part of me that understands that. And then there's another part of me that's like, yeah, but as a group, you guys get enormous concessions from the government. It, there's enormous leeway in religious organizations, tax-wise, like all these other things that we're coming back, I know, to Espinoza, which we agreed to be gentle in our disagreement on. Um, <laughs> Uh, and and which is the way you should always disagree with people. I think we did that properly, but uh, I and uh, you know I just I think that there's some real I don't know there's some real questions in my mind about whether we should allow that. It, I, it is not the fault of a person that they get cancer. Oh, fair enough. But do does that mean you have a legal right to uh, 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 at particular jobs? I suppose not. I suppose that there is no legal right to hold. See, you always do this to me. Um, I, I, Nia, I don't know. I, Nia, I don't know the answer. Okay. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, and, and, and and again, much like you. Okay. Um, I don't think it's right for any employer to go ahead and say to somebody, um, uh, you know, because of your gender, um, you need to, uh, 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 you know, we're going to fire, fire you, but we're not going to fire somebody else because of their gender. Um, you know, if you're doing the job, you're doing the job. And in, in my mind, it, it shouldn't matter. On the other hand, Okay, when you take a job working for a religious school, right? Okay, okay, you know you you have to know that, that they're going to be okay. That if if you're unwilling to go ahead and satisfy um, their requirements in regards to providing religious instruction, that you probably shouldn't take the job. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I, that's fair. I mean, it, I it, 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 I don't suppose that it, as an atheist you would expect to be able to get a job in a Jesuit seminary, right? Like they would say um, <laughs> when you came in to apply for the job, like it would be unreasonable. I mean, in in in, in that situation, for instance, you know, you and I work, you know, for uh, a state agency, okay, and we understand quite well that. Uh, the state as an employer is going to ask us to do certain kinds of things. Okay. Um, and if you will extol certain virtues or values that if we worked at a private for a private university, for instance, they don't necessarily have to, you know, comply with, you know, the first amendment. Okay. Or, you know, other amendments, they're free as a private institution. Okay. To pick and choose which ones they want to follow. Right. Okay. Um, and, you know, and yeah, in, in, off, in, in, in off air, you and I've lamented that at times. Okay. Yeah, but that's a good point. I, I guess I'm coming at it for, I have 
only ever worked in public institutions. I've only ever yeah. worked in institutions of higher education, except for a brief um, time as a, well, anyway. Um, it, it's, I can see where I'm probably biased in the sense that because public institutions are so cautious about the reasons you fire people and they give you a long time to fix things like there are reviews and there's a process and then there's a grievance process right because we want to make sure we're not just randomly firing people because of something as as arbitrary as their skin color or their their sex or whatever so i guess part of me is like and the world should run that way and then and then i get reminded occasionally that out in the big bad world um where not all organizations act in that way and and i work in a work to right state i mean right to work state so in virginia i suppose next year i got a contract this year yay but i guess next year they could just say no contract for you and that would be the end of that and i wouldn't have much in the way of, of yeah a i mean unless, to that unless you could go ahead and demonstrate that the reason why you're not receiving a contract okay god forbid is okay, protected class something yeah you know in in one of the civil rights laws okay you know I mean, my contract is much like yours, Nia. I mean, I just received it, just signed it, okay? But there's all kinds of qualifying language in that contract that said, you know, because of budgetary, you know, constraints or whatever the case may be, you could be terminated, no matter how well I do my job, okay? So unless I could go ahead and point to something protected in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, for instance, or the Americans with Disabilities Act, okay, or any other number of civil rights laws, okay, I, I don't have recourse. Right. Okay. Um, you know, you know, wh what if, you know, what if tomorrow, Nia, I went ahead and said, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the centuries of political science research is basically bunk, and I'm going to teach it from a, a historical, a scientific, you know, perspective. I imagine my employer is going to go ahead and, you know, you know, my department's going to go ahead and say, Augie, that just doesn't cut it. Okay. Right. Okay. No, but, you know what? I will give kudos to, to your department. The first thing they would try to do is reason with you. Yeah. yeah they would. Right. They would yes. sit you down like yes. an intervention kind of thing. And they would <laughs> yes. say, and they would say, Augie, tell us why you feel like you should be teaching this way. Right. Like, cause yes. they wouldn't just immediately, uh, throw you up against the wall. They would they would give you a chance to explain first, um, because that's what academia does. But um, well, sometimes but, but, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes we act out poorly as well. But we have uh, competing imperatives, right? Right. And 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 I, and I tell my students this with some regularity. The free exercise clause of the First Amendment. I mean, there's no glossary. <laughs> to the U.S. Constitution that goes ahead and says, this is what the free exercise clause means, right? So many of these cases are trying to go ahead and figure out how do we bridge those competing imperatives? How on right. one hand can we go ahead and create a workplace that is free of discrimination? And by the way, not for nothing, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, okay, says you can't discriminate 
okay, in employment decisions based on religion. So, you know, it's, you know, it's written into the law, okay? But at the same time, do we want the government telling churches and other religious organizations who they should hire in these positions where they are teaching, okay, the faith of the particular religion? Right. Well, the Civil Rights Act protects individuals from yes. discrimination against religious, but they don't they don't say anything about organizations that's right. discriminating based on religion. That's right. And the courts have found, it sounds like, on a pretty regular basis that just that religious organizations can discriminate. Yes. Based on their religious like they can discriminate against others. Yes. As long as the position in question, okay, is related to what we would think a minister would do which is the teaching of the faith. Which brings up an interesting question to me, and I know we only have a couple of minutes left, so I'll, I'll be brief. So if one of those people had not been teaching, if one of those people had been the accountant for the school, do you think that they would have had better standing? I think they, I think they would have had a better shot, Nia, of showing that uh, the religion did violate the, the uh, uh, federal law. Okay. Yep. So it's a matter of communication of the faith. If you're not directly communicating the faith to other people. That's right. If what you're doing is filing or the accounting or the janitorial services, then they would have a tougher time. Yes. Okay. Yep. That makes and, me feel slightly better. And I it think it's not it, just a wholesale. And in, in Alito's uh, majority opinion, uh, Sam Alito, Justice Sam Alito's majority opinion, he goes to great lengths to explain, okay, what it's what the position does. It's not the title of the position, right? You know, because, you know, in both, uh, uh, both plaintiffs went ahead and argued, okay, you know, I'm not a minister. Uh, and he was saying, yes, but what you're doing is communicating the faith. Yeah, that's right. Okay? okay. But if you're a janitor... How much faith communication are you engaged in? Uh, yeah, it may be between, it's probably between you and God, but there's probably not much more communication going on than that as far as um, external. Yeah, I mean, you don't have young minds at your disposal when you're going ahead and cleaning up after them, you know, at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, not so much with that. Although Leonard Skinner was, isn't that the name of the janitor at their high school? So, you know, or maybe you live in infamy in some ways. I mean, you know, hey, as somebody who used to be a janitor, okay, there wasn't very much communication of any idea being expressed <laughs> when I was cleaning up after everybody. <laughs> yeah, you go now. Okay, okay. so that's our, that's our um, religious, I think the rest of our cases aren't based in sort of religious No, there were three major stuff. ones uh, this term, and we've already covered them, so. So yeah. we'll get to something else next time. Yes. All right, thank you. Thank you, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. 
Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.